Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It's been an interesting week in Spain. When we were talking on Monday or Monday afternoon, I, I mean, I, there was already so many things that happened in England and seemingly like the season is getting a little more interesting towards the tail end of the season. In most parts of Europe, you have in Liga, um, a very close race between Leon, Lille, PSG. In Spain, now obviously you have a four, you know, like a race basically between Sevilla, Atletico, Barcelona, and Real Madrid. And in England, it's not so much the title race, but more so the top four in relegation. And I texted Rian yesterday and I said, you know what might be interesting? And I was thinking in the back of my head, let's wait to record. We normally record on Wednesday night, everything going on in Spain. Let's wait until Thursday night because you have Barcelona's game in hand against Granada. And then you have the first leg of the Europa League semifinal with Villarreal and Arsenal. Turns out, Great for content to record on a Thursday night. Terrible for my own mental health. So we're going to break it all down. Um, but Riyadh, yesterday, of course, was you know Champions League semifinal, PSG City. We'll talk about it later on, probably early next week. But what you been up to? Uh, since since Monday, just just the uh, a couple of good Champions League games. I, I know we'll talk about um, Real Madrid and Chelsea, but... Uh, City PSG yesterday was very much a tale of two halves um, and sets up pretty well for the second legs. I think for both for both um, Champions League or semifinal ties set up very well for the for the second legs. And and then today we had a Europa League where Manchester United in the first half did that thing where they go down just to <laughs> just for fun. Um, me and one of, me and one of my roommates were saying that's basically like a bit at this point. Like, just go down, they just go down a goal or two, like just to um, just because the fun of it now it feels like. But uh, they roared back and they scored five goals in the second half against Roma, and they're pretty much in the final for Europa League. Whereas uh, <laughs> Arsenal and Villarreal, that one's now set up. Pretty well for the second second leg too. I think Villarreal will probably be disappointed to yeah only win two one, um, and Arsenal will probably feel very lucky getting that away goal. But outside of that, um, I think we've got a lot to talk about in Spain. <laughs> yeah, we we definitely have a lot. Um, I'm really glad that just for me, like I'm in the middle of transitioning jobs, so I've taken a few days off. And that is so good for my week right now. Cause I'm trying to imagine like if I was working right now and trying to keep track of everything going on, plus the fact that Barcelona lost today to Granada, like I, <laughs> I would be irate. It would not be pleasant, but I at least have had like no, no immediate work over, I guess what the last two days. So anyway, Rian, let's, let's do it. Let's talk about it. Let's start with Real Madrid though, because they're coming off, I would argue, probably a relatively poor run of form in La Liga, right? They they drew against Getafe and then drew again nil nil to Real Betis last weekend. Prior to their to their game against Chelsea, or the the first leg of the semifinal of the Champions League, and I think we kind of just have to talk about why that happened ultimately. And 
my my first impression of those two draws was it wasn't so much like team exhaustion. I think it was Zidane starting to mess around with what I'd call his Gala 11. And partially, I think, what got them into real trouble in the Chelsea game. It's really interesting to me that, for example, in the Chelsea game, Zidane started with two up top in Vinicius and Benzema. And my initial reaction was actually really positive because I thought he was going for some sort of numerical advantage in the midfield. And yeah, it's not the I, first time he's done that before. No, season, no, and right? and a, a lot of people were saying, "Oh, this is one of the first times we've seen this this starting eleven in um you know the season under Zidane." And the answer to that is, is absolutely not. We we've, we've seen this happen before, especially when Isco comes into the team. But over the last two weekends in La Liga and their draws, I think what really caught them off guard was somewhat of the well the physicality of Hatafe, as Ajax fans definitely know. Um, <laughs> But more so with, with Real Batiste was almost their pace. And I, I think you started to see players like Militao and Nacho and Varane over, I would say, the last two weeks start to get exposed for, I guess, their weaknesses. And it's not that they're bad defenders, let's be clear. I, I want to like state that I don't think that they're outrageously horrible defenders. And I think most teams in Europe would be happy to have them. But I think that it became very apparent, especially in this Chelsea game, how inexperienced those three or those two in any kind of um, you know permutation are in in big games. And we can talk about the La Liga run of form, and I think we'll probably get that in the Barcelona Atletico sections as kind of the La Liga race heats up. But I do want to focus on the Chelsea piece because I'm very curious on your thoughts on kind of the the non-spanish perspective on this because i thought i thought this was honestly one of chelsea's best performances of the year and i thought it was it, it proved me wrong in a lot of ways my prediction before the game was 3-1 real madrid um and i was so so wrong i was really, really <laughs> impressed with chelsea um i i think first to start off i i kind of push back on maybe just one part of of your uh have your thoughts on the experience with um, do it. Do it. Just, just, just Varane. <laughs> I mean, Varane shouldn't that, that shouldn't be an issue with him. Like he's been he's been one of the main features on it on their three peat winning team, um, three peat Champions League winning team. So I think experience shouldn't shouldn't be an issue with him. I, I totally get it with I mean Nacho and and Militao. Though I thought Militao for the most part was was solid against Chelsea. In the game he um... he was he and and I, I this is why I say they're not like expertly bad defenders like I thought Militao was actually a strong presence in the back but and I'll get to this in a second where I think their weaknesses showed was in decision making and it's almost not their fault in a lot of ways because Chelsea this is what I mean by I thought this is one of Chelsea's best games of the season Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel did an incredibly good job of pulling almost every player in the Real Madrid team out of position. Like, I can't think of a time that there was not one player that was in position basically the whole game. Tony Cruz played hybrid left back. Modric played hybrid right back. Casemiro was stuck in between some sort of combination of Jorginho, of Mason Mount, of Conte, basically blocking off his passing lanes. And whenever you saw 
a combination of Timo Werner and Christian Pulisic move forward, that created, again, a numerical advantage because you had players like Modric and Kroos so far out of position that they couldn't track back. So it forced players like Militao, like Nacho, like Varane, if they're not out on the wings, basically to step up and it forced them into the decision. It yeah. forced them to, to make a decision. And that is exactly how basically the first goal came. It, it was a ball over its, over the top that Timo Werner was playing off the, the center back line and Pulisic made a great run in behind. And of course, Militao, Varane, specifically you know those two were late and ultimately i think that that was one of the the most impressive parts about chelsea and real madrid i think were lucky to even get a goal i mean you could we could be having a different conversation if benzema's shot off the post goes in right and we're saying right. benzema just had a worldly game and that's possible yeah. but outside and, of that and, i don't think they had much yeah i mean and honestly he's, he's he did have a worldly, worldly game either way <laughs> yes right um he was he was by far the brightest spot for Madrid's attack. Um, yeah, I, I felt that this game, uh, Madrid really missed Fede, Fede Valverde in this game because you look at the areas that Chelsea were able to exploit so easily, which was like the channels, and especially they got in behind. I, I don't know what Modric and Cruz were supposed to be doing defensively. Honestly, I, I, I found that... Um, it was a tough position to put Modric in anyway. I, I feel like he was isolated or trying to track um, Mason Mount a lot when Chelsea was in possession. And it, it's just a tough matchup for him, honestly. I, I think Mount got past him a couple of times. But in general, Mount kept finding, like, the space and, like, that in those half spaces where Modric is just – I mean, to be fair to him, just not – you wouldn't expect him to be always patrolling that area, right, or, or, or thinking about it as much um but I, I felt like madrid really missed valverde in that sense especially just to have someone else with whose energy on the field is closer to ngolo Conte's than <laughs> like just someone who is at least close to that energy right and uh, and able to drive the team forward a bit because that is what Fede will give you at times like he'll drive the ball forward like he's not always supplying the he's not supplying the final ball most of the time right but he drives the ball forward and i think madrid missed a lot of that i think that's a really good point and it's honestly it's one that i haven't really thought of because that to me is luka modric's role but what chelsea did really well again was isolating him like you said and isolating him to the point where they basically use aspilicueta and chillwell as semi-inverted wingbacks, especially yeah. in defense. And that proved to work really, really well because if you only have Benzema and Vinicius to work with, you know, behind you, you're relying on Christensen and Rudiger and in a lot of ways, probably a combination of Jorginho and Conte to defend against that. And I would take a 2v3 even with Vinicius' speed. So it worked out in Chelsea's favor, right? To to isolate Modric and, and press him with you know, a combination of Aspilicueta and Mason Mount to the point where he doesn't have a passing outlet. Like that, that's the passing outlet that you would think would, would go, you know, right. the, the Real Madrid team would use. But I think your point about Fede Valverde is really true. They missed someone who basically played the equivalent Conte role, right? right. Like the, the, the role to literally run from 
central defensive mid to basically a right back position to now a winger position. Like there was, there's, I, I don't know if you remember this, like midway through the first half where like he basically ran that whole route, almost <laughs> like an out route in football. And it just, it, he was everywhere. He, he deserved man of the match for sure. Um, and, and I think genuinely we're looking at if, if this performance is anything similar, if Real Madrid show up this way, even with Ramos coming back, likely for the second leg, even with Ferlin Mendy coming back, even with Fede, Velde, uh, Fede Valverde, you know, coming back as well, all for the second leg, I think Chelsea are favorites right now to go to the final. And I would be surprised if Real Madrid did not give up a fight and at least score a goal, but... I, I would also equally be not surprised if Chelsea we're talking about Chelsea being in the Champions League final. I, I can't believe I'm saying that, but like, yeah, you, <laughs> take that for what it's worth. Yeah, I, I think from a Madrid point of view, they can't play any worse than they did in that first half, really, right? Like, I they got a goal, right? But they can't play any worse than that. Um, I thought, I, I think the only criticism maybe um, in terms of like the lineup from Chelsea's side was Aspilicueta playing at that right wing back only because you knew before the game that it was either going to be Marcelo or Nacho playing left back because of because of Ferland Mendy's um absence right and I mean Marcelo was was very poor through that throughout this game but at the same time like you wouldn't have expected him to put up much of a fight on in terms of defensively anyway like no matter what even Marcelo almost had his best you were expect you were expecting the space to be there and um and it, and it felt like a slight missed opportunity to get more out of the attack on that right side even though I think a lot of Chelsea's attack did go through the right side of Madrid because of Marcelo's um absence of space a lot but um I think having Espelicueta in a few of those situations it, it limited the what the final ball or what or what the final outcome of the attack could be um as opposed to you know Reese James who has played there recently and as well as even Cal Hudson Odoi but I, I think that's I think that could be an adjustment that happens in the second in the second leg whether at the start or some point if Chelsea were to go down at any point during that during the second leg but yeah, I think I think that's a good point. Reese James really came on and, and changed the game. I know we're focusing on it largely from a Chelsea point of view too, and kind of the effects. But I, I think that they were the major talking point in this, and, and Real Madrid ultimately were suffocated in a lot of ways. And I I, I would expect second the half same. was better from Madrid. Se- second half right. second half was better, and I, I think that was largely just down to controlled possession, and yeah. in some ways, I would I would probably say a little bit of fatigue from Chelsea. Um, but I can't yeah. really think of I, I can think of multiple people on the Real Madrid side who had like four out of ten performances, and I can't really think of many people on on Chelsea right now that had that before. I would say maybe Chilwell was not at his best, in my opinion. I think he he missed a lot of really good opportunities, got into a lot of great positions. I mean, his heat map was far up the the pitch. Yeah. Um, not a lot came from the left from the left side attacking right um at least not on the wings right and i know mount got into the channels there kind of a lot but yeah in terms of um balls that came from the left side not not nearly as many as the right side which who knows was maybe part of the game plan as well but yeah no so i think if you had to pick objectively 
right? Who's going through the Champions League final? Because I think it's a very mm. interesting tie now. It's it's an extremely interesting tie. It, Chelsea will be slight favorites, I think, going into it because they got the away goal. And and I think at the same, I think part of maybe that last 20 minutes of the game too, both sides were probably satisfied with that result. Yeah. I mean, Chelsea, obviously, from the away goal point of view and Madrid for probably knowing that they were not very good in the first half and were still somehow like in the game and it had tied the game. So, man, it's it's hard to bet against Madrid in the second leg because, like I said earlier, I, I don't think they can play any worse than they did. Yeah. And at the same time, they'll be getting at least a couple of their very key players back. You're talking potentially Ramos, potentially Ferland Mendy. And it it's gonna be a tougher game. They they will be without Carvajal, who was who was a big um, news really that that he was able to play in that that first leg anyway. Oh yeah, and, and then he injures his hamstring, and so who knows what we'll see now from right back. Uh, maybe it'll be Odriozola, but um, more, more than likely, yeah, yeah. So I I think Madrid should be the favorites to win the game itself. Honestly, um, I know Ch- but they Chelsea but they have to score more than score. one goal. Well, I guess not. But they when, <laughs> they have to yeah. keep a clean sheet if they're going to score only one goal. And Thibaut yeah. Courtois, in his words after the game, by the way, uh, the the game will not end zero zero at Stanford Bridge. So, <laughs> uh, his last words. <laughs> so so here's to conceding three goals, Thibaut. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. I here or here's to the most boring nil nil. In a game oh, that oh my means God. so much. <laughs> <laughs> that would just be such a disservice. That would start the Super League conversations again. I think that that oh, alone. Man. <laughs> but anyway, that I think covers the Real Madrid portion. Rian, let's move on to the Barcelona portion because we'll also talk about how that kind of affects Real Madrid's league run-in because these two teams are basically in lockstep for the league right now. Um before before time of recording, right, or even before day of recording, I should say, I was in very good spirits about this team. I think we both probably could have agreed that they were favorites for the title. I think we both could have agreed that they looked like one of the hottest teams in Spain, if not Europe. Um, outside controlled of, their own destiny, too. Yep, the... controlled their own destiny. I think Sevilla are, are definitely in that conversation. We'll touch on them at the end. But... I just want to go back to the Classico for a second because that's not really a game that we got to unpack. And in hindsight, and it feels like this happens almost every year, but in hindsight, was the Classico really as impactful on this Barcelona team mentally and just in terms of where the points expectation was? Because before the Granada game today, they had a game in hand and were tied on points with Real Madrid, meaning if they won the Granada game, which, spoiler alert, they did not, then they would have been three points ahead of Real Madrid with, again, destiny in hand. So it's almost as though in some ways the Classico, I feel as though, I mean, was certainly important for head-to-head and for what it meant, you know, for the spirit of the competition, but in terms of points, it's all muddied now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it was a weird one today. Right, um, just I didn't get to watch the game live. I've just seen the highlights, but it felt like Barcelona should have been home and dusted after the by the end of the first half, right? And 
yet again, this Barcelona defense, which of the four teams who are within three points now um, to winning the title. All, all of them, is, by the way, are, are in three points, which means just on point difference alone, I should point out, this mm-hmm. is the closest the La Liga race has been in 48 years. So to those who say Spain is wow. not competitive. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah. So I guess, I guess maybe every every uh, ten years we get one that's that's at least yeah. a three team race, <laughs> at least a three team race. Um, True. But what felt like it was that what was an absolute runaway from Atletico Madrid the first half of the season to what seemed like Madrid and Barcelona pulling themselves together as. Atletico Madrid are like stumbling down the cliff to the title. Seemed like it was going to be a three-team race, and now all of those teams have found a way to almost not progress at all in the last like two weeks in terms of creating separation from each other or from the fourth-place team, Sevilla, who have now caught up to all of them and sit three points off of first place they out of the four teams who are who are um, vying for the title now they've got the second best expected goals against and that's where we pull back to barcelona who have the worst of these four teams barcelona's goal expected goal against is sixth in the league and it's just this defense which to be fair to kuman has almost never had um a pairing or a or trio really that has consistently played with each other for more than three weeks, really. Right. So I, I do sympathize in that sense, but it's, it's still too easy to score against this team. I mean, you see the second goal against Granada today, the space between Umtiti and, and PK is it's impossible. Oh my God. It's impossible. It's, it's impossible to, 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 have two experienced international defenders be so far away from each other in the box and, and be and not for any reason because they're marking someone else that they're, they're just marking they're marking grass and while <laughs> while, while uh the granada strikers has been able to just mosey his way into the middle between the middle of them something like 20 yards of space almost in the penalty box in their own penalty yeah. box as well so yeah yeah the, that i think I'll I'll start with the Granada game because it's very fresh in my mind, unfortunately. But the combination of PK Umtiti and I have to call out Sergio Roberto instead of Serginho Dest was one of the worst decisions that Coma has made all season. And I don't mean that lightly because you're in a situation where you have the league in your control and every goal, uh, every goal, both goals, fine, from Granada today came from that side. Right, either from a, a late run back that should have been a, a tackle made, or a, again a cross that could have been blocked. But Sergio Roberto as a right back does not work for this team, and it pisses me off that he continually gets starts because it's completely undeserved, especially in place of Sergio Des, who has arguably had a fantastic season in, in, in a first season at a top top European club. That is very hard to do. And I give him massive, massive credit. And then secondly, to your point about the center-back partnership at Barcelona, 
I don't know what Ronald Araujo has done to not deserve a start. I don't know if he has Coleman's nudes or what else he has in his locker, but well, that should get him the start, honestly, that, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, but I, I just don't understand why Umtiti has them. Who knows? I, yeah, that's honestly fair. But I, it was Umtiti's first start in almost like two months, so I don't understand again a the logic for it and b why nothing was changed. That that's even more so what bothers me is that. Coleman goes to a back four to bring in Dembele, but he, he's taking off Mingetha, who probably is your best right-hand, right-handed wing backs, or I should say right back slash right side and center back to progress the play forward. I, it, it just didn't make sense to me. And ultimately, I blame Komen more than the players for this loss because of the team selection and also for his inability to do adapt properly. And you can ask the team for miracles sometimes, and sometimes that happens. Messi's still on the team. He's still playing. But this was a massive, massive blow to th- this Barcelona side. I mean, I I talked to Rian about this offline, but I, I want to also you know partially give praise to Antoine Griezmann, who's now scored 18 goals and provided 12 assists in all competitions this season, which is a pretty good haul of goals. I mean, that is yeah. now... Oh, that is... Oh, my God, that is 30 goal contributions this season. There you I go. Think, there, yeah. So I, <laughs> and that's something that I was telling Rion, like, at the beginning of the season, that I think it should be the expectation for him. His last two months have been outstanding, but... Genuinely, the, the relationship seems like it's really starting to build with uh, with Messi, honestly. Yes. It, that's the first time in his two seasons of being on the on the side on the team where it seems like they are actually getting on the same wavelength um more often than not agreed agreed that first goal was beautiful that everything from the turn oh my goodness by Griezmann yeah. to the shot from Messi yeah the, the first Barcelona goal was was fantastic but again last point I'll, I'll make is we didn't even have time to get to the Villarreal game this past weekend where Antoine Griezmann scored two goals, one of which was a beautiful chip. That, but, but the, the reason why I say that is because of how crushing today's loss is to the La Liga title. L- let, me, let me put it to you this way because I, I want to put it in context of the other Spanish teams. Barcelona, if they win the rest of their games this season and Real Madrid also win the rest of their games this season, not only are they still going to lose the title to Real Madrid based on head-to-head because of the Clasicos they lost this, this season, they're also preventing Real, uh, Atletico Madrid from potentially getting to the title instead of Real. So <laughs> because of next weekend's game, right, Real Madrid play Sevilla and Atletico play Barcelona, you're looking at a situation where Barcelona could quite literally hand the title to Real Madrid because they're both on 71 points. You do the math, Real Madrid still come out on top if, if all wins out. So it's no longer in Barcelona's hands. And Real Madrid are probably feeling really good about themselves. Atletico are also probably feeling really good about themselves. And oh, by the way, Sevilla well, are really one good. Point... Really good might be, a, <laughs> right, might be a slight overstatement. Um, well, it would have been it would have been the first time that they were out of first That's since right. I think yeah. like what October probably. So that that is probably some sort of mental freshness at the very least but i've i've gone on a rant the point is or the last point i'll make too sevilla on 70 points 
you're looking at a situation, Riyadh, next weekend where if Sevilla beat Real Madrid and, and Barcelona and Atletico tie, it's possible that, depending on how this weekend's set of games go, Sevilla are in first or second place. So all I'm saying is wide open. And Barcelona really screwed up today. Uh, look, even even if Barca won today, right, uh, you'd still say it was wide open right? with with the Atletico True. game coming up, True. right? Um, so it, it doesn't change. I guess it do, it doesn't quite change the task next next weekend, right? They can't lose the game, right? Which would have been the task anyway, um, even if they were up a point. What you are correct in saying is that now Sevilla is back in this and. Now we've got like I mean it, it should be a very fun last five weeks here because we have all four of them playing against each other um, next weekend so it's just the perfect timing there and I think from a Barcelona point of view now you're right I don't understand um, the Roberto thing I didn't understand why uh, Sergio Roberto was was also subbed on at halftime versus Villarreal this this past weekend as well. I didn't understand that, but um, they've, they've got to, they've got to fix the defending. It's just, it's just simply that. They sit third in terms of non-penalty expected goals per shot. So what that basically means is that they're conceding extremely valuable chances and what makes it even worse is that Barcelona have given up the fewest shots in the league this season, and yet, and yet are sitting third in terms of um, quality chances, the average quality chances that they're giving up per shot, right? So, oh, and and by the way, this is the the team in La Liga with the most number of goals. Ironically, yeah. So, <laughs> most and... number of goals, highest xG as well. Like so, the everything about this team in terms of on average, what they've done this season in terms of chance creation and and um, like in terms of like general dominance that they've had in in a lot of their games, especially the second half of the season, um, they they have still done all of this without, I think, ever feeling that secure about their defense. And, and look, a lot of the reason a lot of managers go to a three back formation because they don't trust any pairing that they have in their squad that's that is at the heart of it unless you're Antonio Conte basically um who, <laughs> who just just loves loves three back three center backs but um but from for most managers it's it's because they don't trust it especially when you start the season playing with a four back with a sorry a back four and then switch it to a back three like there's reasons for that and um that's where it, it feels like, you know, Kuman, I agree, don't think he's the best, of course. Um, but I do think that the center back situation is a tough problem that he inherited. I'll say that. Also very fair. Also very fair. The last point I'll make on Barcelona before we move on to our break, Rian, is 
just giving a little bit of praise to Busquets for basically reviving his career in it's been great <laughs> the last month or so, a month, two yeah. months maybe. He, and and I think that's largely due to the fact that he doesn't have to run back and defend. I mean, he, he he's not that. <laughs> the type three back of formation. The three back formation helps him a lot too. Exactly, to <laughs> exactly. He is benefited. I think arguably one of the most, other than maybe Frankie yeah. De Jong. And just to put it into perspective, he's now averaging over one key pass per ninety, and the highest number of expected assists per ninety since 2014-2015, which is. Pretty impressive given especially what happened that year, um, but even more so in the fact that he seems to be just on another wavelength when it comes to providing assists and pro- providing balls over the top or, or passes through defenses. Um, so I do want to I wanna end on a positive note for, for Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to need it. They, they, they're going to need it after today. Oh they, oh, they will. They will. So let's take a break. I'm going to go get a drink. And, uh, and weep my sorrows away. Be happy. <laughs> All right, Rian, let's go back over to Madrid and talk a little bit about Cholo Simeone's team. And what I would argue is probably a good run of form in La Liga up until this past weekend, since I think April 11th, 12th, that time frame, you know, they've Won two games in a row, kept two clean sheets, scored eight goals. I mean, pretty impressive stuff, especially when you had your main striker still coming back from injury. Now, I think that needs to be put into context because (laughs) you're talking about two teams that they played who are relegation battled. Ibar, who are last in La Liga right now, and Huesca, who are also fighting to stay up. And while it's great that Atletico can go on and beat those teams, I feel as though the loss this past weekend against Bilbao really encapsulated how their season, or I guess their 2021 specifically, has been going. Because I'd probably, I mean, I'd argue that they didn't even deserve to win this game in the first place. I mean, they went down 1-0, right? Uh, A savage header, tied it back up 1-1, and then lost it late, Um, again, off, off of... A corner, which bullet, is a bullet yeah, header. Yeah, a My really goodness. good one. But the that just like the ironic part to me is that I feel as though that's what that's the kind of thing Atletico does to other teams, right. like scoring late headers and corners and set pieces that are scrappy and find. Yeah, except way. against Real Madrid in Champions League finals. Wow, but, but, uh, <laughs> for those Atletico fans, that is cruel, man. Wow, 2016 holds some deep wounds. But all right, that neither here nor there. So on that note, yeah, it's just ironic to me that that's the kind of thing that Atletico used to do, and now they're they're getting that done to them. Yeah, it, it's. Look, as a whole, the last few months has been such a drop-off. We know that, right? Since February 5th, they have played 14 games, 23 points. And as you might guess, Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Sevilla all have picked up more points during that time and also have all picked up 31 points during that time so they've they've gone from a team that was otherworldly in terms of efficiency 
um in the box in both boxes you should i should say honestly defensively and and in terms of um attack right but like you said they've been missing suarez the the Joao felix situation is confusing now more than more than at any point i think last season um even though he was like he wasn't great last season but at, at never point at no point did it feel like it, it, there was no place in the team for him right that made sense and and now it it feels it really feels like the this team doesn't make sense for him honestly and and there's nothing much that he can do about that honestly he's got 5 years left on his on his contract but um the the team still just what we said before what we've said i think of the last like month or so really which is every game now is a grind for them outside of outside of their their five nail hammering and 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 they played wonderfully in that game against i believe it was ibar but uh, yeah ibar that like they, they were wonderful in that game and and that game was the first time it felt like they played with real freedom in in attack and and part of that obviously has to go down to well one playing ibar but also you know they they were able to get a couple goals and and the confidence started flowing and and they were able to like play with the freedom of um of not having to kind of be cautious in general i guess but there has been a drop off from the entire team not just not just from the attack right from the entire team i think carrasco has been very good since he's come back i think he's been a bright spot um in in this kind of in the slump that they've had but looking at like saul it's been poor the second half of the season coke as well um i think yorente has been hot and cold honestly recent recently he scored some very important goals for them of course and, and a lot of the time he is he is their main goal threat um Correa was great in the game against ibar and um but also I feel like he's been hot and cold, honestly, in the same sense. Probably still the best out of the players that you just mentioned, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, the same problem. And the one thing that I don't know about kind of some of these individual performances is, I would say two things. One, how much self-belief, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, does this Atletico team actually have that they can go on to win the title? Like, do they genuinely believe in Simeone? Do they believe in themselves that they can win their remaining games? Can they go on and beat Barcelona in a week? I don't know if that's there. And that's come through in basically their drop points in the last two months. I think Bilbao is a perfect example of that, where, again, a, a time where they were pushing forward towards the end of the game, they were had a, a horrible first half. I mean... They just got exposed in so many different spaces. It, it wasn't pretty for Atletico. It honestly wasn't. So it's not like they're they're getting undeserved drop points here or something like that. But the first point I would make is self-belief. Second point is some of these players, like Koke, like Saul, like Carrasco probably too, they probably have to start thinking about their places in their European teams for the summer, right? Like that has to be a part of what's going on in their head. And... If they're going into the tail end of the season playing as poorly as they are, is there a chance that, I mean, I, I don't foresee a situation where a player like Koke doesn't make the Spain squad, but Luis Enrique, for example, likes to pick his players largely based off form. And if they're 
not necessarily inform, then why would your national team coach pick you? I mean, it's it has to be in the back of some of those these players' heads. Oh, definitely. And, and you have to think about you know, Joao, you know, Joao Felix at, um, at Portugal and Kieran Trippier, right? It, with England especially, you, th- you talk about the depth at the England right-back position. Uh, it, it Even though it, overall this season he's been one of Atleti's best attackers and, and most important attackers, and we saw how important he was during the time that he was out, right? But there's so much competition at, at right back for, for England in these Euros. Um, so even potentially having a bad last six weeks of the season um, where your team doesn't perform well, it, it's, it, it does make things kind of difficult for his Euros prospects for this summer. I think that's a really unique point of view too because the competition for England's right back spot is just absurd I mean you could have any one of four players right Trippier, Juan Bissaka, Kyle Walker and Trent are just all arguably fantastic so it's just a really tough pick but yes I think your point is absolutely valid but Rian I think the question now becomes for Atletico especially how do they win the title right can they win the title they're still two points above both Barcelona and Real Madrid and in the same vein that all we say for basically the top three right now, if they win their remaining games, they could win the title. So do we think that Atletico are capable of winning, you know, really the rest of their games, which are not, they're not extremely straightforward, right? So they play Elche, which again, should be a, a game they win on Saturday. Then they go to Barcelona, of course, but then they go on and play Real Sociedad, which we have seen Real Sociedad be very hot and cold. And then they wrap up with Osasuna and Valladolid, two games that they probably should be winning as well. So it's not like it's impossible for Atletico to win the title. I would argue that they probably have the easiest of of the remaining schedules. But I don't, just, I just don't have faith in this team. And especially if they drop points of any sort to Barcelona, then I think it's it's pretty tough for them to to win. And it's probably leading towards Real Madrid. Yeah, it does. It does feel like, um, gosh, it feels, (laughs) uh, uh, it feels like we could end this season with Madrid winning, doing the double in terms of um, La Liga and, and Europe. It really feels like, yeah, it really feels like there's a one in three chance basically of that happening, which is such, which is super high. That yeah, is a super yeah. high probability. Um, yeah. It, it, it feels like they, they have passed um, Sevilla. It, yeah. They get past that game. They can, they hope that, you know, Barcelona and Atleti take points from each other and it puts them in the driving seat. All right. Um, from Atletico point of view, it's really about realistically, can they get four at least four points against Barcelona and Real Sociedad? Those two straight games, can they get at least four points? That I think would keep them probably still in first with some with a bit of help from um, from Sevilla, <laughs> from course. Sevilla, yeah. Who will also be who will also be very close on their heels too. So. <laughs> You know, I I think, I think to pull away they need to get they need to beat both Barcelona and Sociedad. I think that would actually pull them maybe yeah. three points clear, 
going into the lot to the last three games of the season. But realistically, they have to get at least four points from those two games. Agreed. And 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 if they don't, then I think that we're looking at a Madrid title. Yeah, that hurts to say, but I think it's probably <laughs> the most realistic scenario. Um, a, a, a Real Madrid title. Yes, yes, say. let's be very clear. Um, but it's so interesting to me, this is the last point I'll make, but it's just so interesting to me that there's such a fine line for success for these three teams. And I would argue probably four teams to a degree, but more so for Atletico, who had 10 and 11-point gap on everyone else in first right back in November. Real Madrid, who are always going to be gunning for the Champions League and always going to be gunning for La Liga now. Barcelona, who turned their season around. It's really the hope that kills you with this team, but they turned their season around starting at the beginning of the year and have been on a tear ever since. The narrative for any one of these teams to either lose or win La Liga is so, so fine. Like that margin of success is so fine because you're looking at a situation where Barcelona win the league, they're, they've done the domestic double in a season where no one expected anything. Real Madrid win the league, there's a very good chance that they also win the Champions League. That's a pretty good haul of trophies. Atletico win the league, that's the first time they've won since 2013, 2014, and arguably could save Cholo Simeone's job. Like, that's how tight things are, and that's how significant it is in Spain right now. So, yeah, I, I think, Rian, it's it's a very it's a very up-in-the-air situation. As, as they say in Spain, high Liga. Um, <laughs> but we do... I do want to move on to uh, just a roundup of a couple of other points around Spain, focusing on Sevilla and Villarreal, really, because um, massive, massive shout out to Sevilla and massive shout out, more importantly, to Julian Lopetegui. After getting knocked out of the Champions League, he has now amassed the highest po- points total ever in a Sevilla La Liga campaign at this point in the campaign. I think their total or their highest total ever was back in 2014, 2015, where they amassed 20 era uh, 76 points. And that was a really, really unique year because they still came in third. So <laughs> this is looking much more likely, or I would argue there's a higher possibility that they finish above third this year. And I think it's pretty fair to say that they will pick up at least seven points between now and the end of the season um, based on their schedules. But I would, I would also argue Sevilla have the, the hardest schedule out of any team. They still have to play Real Madrid, Bilbao, I believe Real Sociedad um, all before the end of the season. So it'll be tough, but I do think that they break that record. So even, even as some of their players have struggled with injury, like Luxa Campos, right? Yusuf and Nasiri, they're finding ways, and that's the most impressive part about the team, especially after losing a player like Ben Yedder, who was their highest goal scorer last season. So massive, massive shout-out to Sevilla. Yeah, I, I talk about a team that hasn't lost since the beginning of March, a 2-1 loss against Elche. Uh, yeah, it, it's going to be tough, obviously, for them, but, man, can you imagine? If they get past Bilbao this weekend, going into that game against Real Madrid with all of the narratives that come with Julian Lopetegui and the Real Madrid job. I mean, it'll be a theater. I, I, I actually can't wait. That weekend is just going to be ridiculous. I, I can't explain to you how important that weekend is in Spanish. It's the equivalent of the Spanish football, like La Liga Champions League semifinal. Like that's, that's how I would put it into perspective. So 
yeah, massive shout out to Sevilla because they are still in contention for this title. Absolutely. Um, but lastly, Rian, after today's Europa League games, the Europa League semifinals, right? Villarreal beating Arsenal 2-1, both teams seeing red cards. I mean, the Europa League was ridiculous today. Where it, it, It's usually so okay. Like, honestly, I, I've never appreciated it quite as much um, as this year because I just feel like I have more time to watch <laughs> the Europa yeah. League, especially. Um, <laughs> but the, the knockout stages, the last couple rounds have been great entertainment honestly great oh, yeah. entertainment chaos i mean so chaotic <laughs> like it, it's it's amazing that even at that high of a level right like the players are obviously phenomenal phenomenal soccer players but you just the difference in organization from champions league to your <laughs> even right like look on tuesday and wednesday we saw two games in which both halves looked totally different, right? And that came <laughs> from great coaching, from great mental adjustments made by the players, everything so detailed, so so high level. And then today we saw lovely entertaining soccer, of course, but <laughs> but we saw two red cards in the Arsenal Villarreal game. It, one of them, including Etienne Capui with an all-timer of a, of a sending off where he gets his second yellow, he stays on the ground for 10 minutes, probably, gets stretchered off all that time. It was such an obvious second yellow. The referee had the yellow card out for the entirety of him laying on the ground, waiting for the stretcher to come out. And there's a wonderful image of him on a stretcher getting stretched off and the referee having <laughs> having the red card up as he <laughs> is stretched off. And he probably never looked over at the referee at any point in that. So he might not know that he got a red card. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It technically, didn't happen if you never saw it. So, <laughs> of course, of uh, course. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, like great fun, great fun. The League games were today. Um, chaos, chaos all all yeah. over. And yeah, as, as we kind of touched on at the beginning, like Villarreal now go into the second leg, a great spot. Um, in a, in a, I shouldn't say great. I would say a very good spot. A, a spot where they can control the game, but it's the Europa League. No, none of these teams, unfortunately, are good enough to con- quote-unquote control a game. That's kind of why they they are at this point. But from Villarreal, yeah, they've got a great, great opportunity now because they go into the Emirates 2-1 up. Arsenal can't be worse, Right. Like, realistically, they can't be any worse than they were. It's sim- maybe somewhat similar to the Real Madrid-Chelsea thing, but on a obviously on a lower scale. Arsenal can't be worse than they were, I think, um, in this entire game. They were terrible throughout almost the entire game. Um, and and Arteta's, Arteta's lineup and, and um, use of his subs was honestly very disappointing. Um, as someone who has, I think, stuck up for him a lot this season because I feel like a lot of this is not his fault, but I thought I thought his coaching was very, very poor today, honestly. So we'll see the adjustments that they make next week. I think Villarreal will have to be major favorites, um, not just because of the scoreline, but I, I think because of the guy who is coaching that team, Unai Emery, who... 
has just shown that he's very hard to beat in this competition. So it, it's looking very good for Villarreal. Um, Arsenal can have some hope. You know, they got the away goal. They're also, they'll get Kieran Tierney back most likely next week. Who knows how fit he'll be, but um, they'll have him. They'll probably have Aubameyang, maybe Lacazette, and... And and the team will go out there and and have to start on the front foot, so it's it's set up very well, I think, in that game, no matter what. Yeah, a hundred percent agree. And the, just outside of everything you just said, the funniest thing for me is that right now in La Liga, Villarreal are seventh, which means they're one spot out of a Europa League, but are very <laughs> much in position where they could be in the Champions League yeah. next season. So it is again. Absolutely wild the way the Europa League works. Um, but I think we would probably say that it's, it's. I mean, it's very fair to say United are the the overwhelming favorites to yeah. go on and win the Europa League. So no, Yeah, no matter who comes out of, of that, yeah. of this Villarreal um, Arsenal semifinal, they're going to be massive underdogs. Oh, 100%. The final. They'll yeah. be huge underdogs. Yeah. And the other thing that I want to point out, too, is just Pau Torres' performance for Villarreal, right? They're basically best one of their best players outside of probably Danny Parejo or Chukweze. Um a target for Manchester United in the summer, I think. And one that probably could have been useful today <laughs> for United <laughs> in not conceding those goals to Endeco. Um or goal, I should say not goals plural, but a player that I think is very underrated for Villarreal and a player that Arsenal too would kill to have in their squad right now not that they'd probably ever get him but just something to keep in mind as arsenal look towards a continued rebuild over the summer that a player like pal torres in the back would uh would not hurt them just throwing that out there <laughs> well all in all we've got two great champions League semifinals to look forward to next tuesday and wednesday that are poised very well as a neutral i mean if you're a fan I can't of wait. those teams it is it is not fun but um we've luckily got at least we've got one really no i shouldn't even say at least one we've got <laughs> one it's still interesting second semi-final leg in the europa league so yeah either way man we're getting to the end here hey all, all i'm saying is i've seen roma pull a, a four nothing of some sort <laughs> so just uh, never say never. I'm too need, scarred, man. They just I'm need Costas. They just need Costas back. They need Costas Manola back. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's a little long gone past their time. But yes, <laughs> no, we're we're heading to the tail end of the season, like you said, and it's it's ridiculously exciting. So stay tuned. We'll keep you updated. We'll be around. And uh thanks for listening as always. Thanks, guys.